and I'm in charge. I have an irrational sense of positivity. What is going on here? You have a bunch of, of crazy people. Yay! <laughs> I mean, I'm sold. I love it. I think I may have been hacked by some Russian bots. I was on fire. The room was on fire. Fantastic. Great. Viva Bill Murray. Hello and welcome to the Angel Comedy Podcast, Shanoa Allen edition. This is a uh, hour-long conversation with the brilliant Shanoa Allen. Shanoa is half of the Pajama Men uh, who have toured the world, done every festival in the world, done TV, done, um, I think they made a film, uh, like I think that comes out in the interview. Um, but uh, just just such a brilliant clown, physical performer, comedian. Uh, he's in the UK now. He's performing with both Nina Conti and on his own. But um, yeah, do do look him up. And this is a conversation that tr- kind of goes through a comedy career that isn't like really any other co- comedy career that you will have um, of people that you might have heard of around yourself, especially if you're listening from the UK. So yeah, really interesting to hear how somebody from the States comes to uh, comedy and um, how they end up in a a world touring, clowning sketch double act. So, uh, and that transition as well from performing in a double act very intensely and like, you know, at the very top of your game to leaving that double act and then coming to the UK and moving country at the same time. Really, really um, kind of interesting. And I think for the for the comedian listener, like how do you navigate that kind of change? Um, all right, I will let I will let Shanoa do the rest of the talking before kind of foreshadowing everything and I'll speak to you at the end. Thanks very much. Here is Shanoa Allen. Hello, Shanoa Allen. Well, hello, Barry Ferns. Thank you very much for coming on, on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty okay, you know? Yeah? I am, uh, I am alive and I'm interested in life. (laughs) (laughs) You're, uh, you're from America, right? So the, uh, the tone sounded way more Canadian than American because Mm. it was, it was flat and existential rather Mm. that's how I figure (laughs) rather than Americans, which are in, you know, in our head, uh, iconically in our head, super positive. Right. Are we? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I didn't know that about us. Oh, absolutely. I also haven't lived there for quite some time. Okay, so where'd you grow up? Where, where were you born? Well, I was born in Los Angeles, California, um, and didn't stay there at all. Uh, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I, I don't need to tell you the places in between, probably. I lived in Gainesville, Florida, hmm. and Reno, Nevada, on the way to five years old. And then uh, we landed in Albuquerque, and life began. Mm. I've got no idea of any concept what Albuquerque is like, other than from the song. Hot uh, dog, uh, yes, prefab so, sprout. Yeah, prefab sprout. That's as much as I've got. Uh, yeah, which um, I never heard that song. No? Um, until I came here and I heard people sing it to me. Right. I Almost every day someone sings that song to me. Really? <laughs> every time I meet someone, they go, ah. Oh. Because people, because my accent stands out here. They yeah. go, where are you from? They say Albuquerque, and they go, hot dog, jumping frog, <laughs> Albuquerque. And, uh, yeah, I knew that much of the song before ever having heard it. 
I've since looked it up on YouTube, and I can recommend the music video. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, and if you so with that background, if you had to describe um, uh, who you are to the com- comedy industry and your own relationship with um, comedy f- from over over the years, from Albuquerque onwards, how what would you kind of um, uh, like? I'd certainly put certain things, but I'm curious to ask what would you, how would you describe yourself in a kind of byline? Um, well, Albuquerque is. Uh, it certainly was. Albuquerque is kind of on the map now because there's oh, a lot of things. Snow Allen, yeah, yeah. I put it on the map. <laughs> All right. Uh, but before I did that, yeah. Um, yeah, it, you know, it was, I guess, it, it its own place, um, and it's a, it's a, you got a unique culture, and uh, it's a very poor state, New Mexico, and was poor when I grew up there. And, uh, so culturally the things that you could plug into in Albuquerque, there wasn't much in the way of performing arts that you could do. Mm. It's a big university there. And so there was some life around that. For the most part, there weren't very many theaters, certainly not that I was that interested in. I mean, there was like one little theater doing musicals and stuff, but I, you know, I can really give a shit. And, uh, so we, it was a pretty DIY, uh, upbringing and, you know, I, there was enough going on, like in public schools, I guess you call them city schools or state schools here. I don't know. Whatever the ones the government are, not yeah, private yeah. schools. I think you've it's got it reversed the wrong here. Way. Private schools, are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> public school is very strange, yeah. So anyway, the uh, the one that is the state school. <laughs> Comprehensive. Yeah. yeah, I went to one of those. And it did have like a little drama program and stuff like that. Um, but... Uh, you know, I'm being very long-winded about this. What I'm trying to say is it's a small city with not a whole heck of a lot happening in the performing arts. And so, you, mm. but also poor and tons of like vacant spaces and stuff. And so um, it was kind of a blank canvas. And if you wanted to do something, there was kind of a beauty about it that you could do it, whatever mm. it was, because nothing's that expensive. And you could kind of figure out how to, you know, hang a few lights in a, in a storefront in a strip mall yeah and uh you know do some improv shows in there do some plays um so i i did that uh and uh ran with others a late night variety show um and my comedy partner for many years, Mark Chavez, uh, who had a company with me called Pajama Men. Um, we used to be the closing act at the this variety show called The Reptilian Lounge. And we did that. We would write our set. It was a long strip mall um, that was very uh, poetic and not at all in the fact that it was like a shitty neighborhood and, you know, literally like needles lying around in front of the place and people cops came in with guns drawn in a rehearsal we were having looking for someone (laughs) running it you know it was a fucked up neighborhood um but we but we had a lot of good times in there and um uh mark and i would ride our set up the hall of this there was a hallway that connected all the storefronts in the strip mall Mm. and so you could walk like a block in this weird hallway and so we'd go way down to the end of this hall and write our show during this forever long cabaret that was going on because it was like anyone in town with a fucking act 
was on and, you know, with varying degrees of ability. Um, and that was kind of the vibe of it. And it was great. Uh, and we, we found uh, joy and success in closing that show. And, um, so you the, set up the show yourself? And we didn't. We did, I, no, I wouldn't claim that. We helped. Hmm. We helped. Um, there was a little theater company that I, I was involved with there uh, that lasted until last year, actually. Wow. Um, that I, uh, I won't call myself the founder, but I was a founding member of um, called Trick Lock Company, and they lasted, and they had a big theater festival, and it ran for many, many years. Um, anyway... Mark and I found a lot of uh, fun in this half-written, half-improvised style of writing our stuff on the night and then going out and seeing what happened. Um, And that, coupled with an improv team that we were part of, turned into us really finding a lot of comic joy with each other and developing the Pajama Men and touring the Canadian Fringe Festival uh, in 2000. And that led. That was the first kind of time that you guys left Albuquerque to yeah. to do something. So yeah. How long have you been doing it in for uh, before two thousand? Then what kind of like um? Well, um, we met in high school. Mm. Um, I don't know what you call that here. Albuquerque High School, Albuquerque <laughs> Sixth Form. Or no, but what do you call high school? Because high school for university? us is you're a teenager. Yeah, it was a sixth form college, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, grade uh, nine through twelve. Um, so we met there uh, mm. doing improv a, a bit in school yeah. uh, and then continued we never really looked back we actually met on stage auditioning for the high school improv team mm. <laughs> um, and I would love to have that on tape I don't remember what we did but that was our first interaction was mm. a scene that we improvised together um, so you kind of found your your joyful improv partner <laughs> on at a rehearsal, which is kind of like the iconic way that I think. Yeah, just kind of at seventeen, yeah. you know, and then we just kind of never looked back, and mm. yeah, like I said, started touring the Canadian Fringe Festival. We did four cities on our first go, and people came and saw us and laughed and gave us good reviews, and we were like, oh, holy shit! And we actually sold some tickets and yeah. um, made a little money, and realized that we could start doing that and try to make a go for it as a as a way of life and that's what it became we continued to tour the canadian circuit and did our first edinburgh in 2004 Hmm. second city grabbed us there brought us to chicago and produced some of our shows there and we lived in chicago for a couple years and tried to figure it out with them and didn't ultimately really but you know grateful for that experience and that was in 2004 yeah yeah and i think we did edinburgh again in 2005 maybe yeah anyway we skipped a year or so to to try chicago out and then kind of went yeah mm-hmm. and then kept doing edinburgh and then um found our way into the soho theater and uh into the australian circuit we went to melbourne um and sorry for the brag but because it's so long ago it's irrelevant but we won the barry uh which is mm-hmm. Melbourne's. It's the biggest comedy award in in Australia. So that was nice. Yeah. That was nice to get yeah. that, and it opened up our career down there. And we got to do a ton of stuff in Australia after that for a few years. And mm. yeah, but so, uh, yeah, and to answer, sorry, I'm just talking and talking and talking. But to answer your, your question, <laughs> yeah, um, of how I it, it kind of ended up here versus. Did you ask me that versus somewhere else, or was that before we started recording? You said I think that was before. I yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, 
go on, finish off the thought. Oh, just how I ended up in the UK versus America. I mean, we, we kind of made it over here before there. I mean, our, the Edinburgh that we, I mean, it was a big disaster, like everybody's story. You know, you lose a lot of money, but we did critically well on our first year. And that allowed us to start coming back there and not paying for it ourselves and have producers take us on. And mm. we're pretty young. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. That opened up a lot of free. I mean, that first year was pretty significant in that second city found us. There were literally five people in the audience when they came and we were in a, in the George Square because mm. our venue had fallen apart somehow. It didn't ever get built. It was supposed to be like a kind of Spiegel tent thing okay. called the Wigwam. And it uh, didn't ever get made. And so... <laughs> that sounds very Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, we ended up in the George Square, having never been there before, mm. performing to four or five people a night in a 400-seater. So that was... Uh, that was in 2004. Uh, that was in 2004. 2004. Like, I, I, okay, so, like, I'm interested to talk about um, Albuquerque to the Fringe Festivals. But first of all, just to talk, like, talk about Edinburgh in 2004, what made you come to Edinburgh in 2004? So you'd had, like, four years of... Um, going around uh, Canada at the Fringe Festival, which is funny that uh, Second City would see you in Edinburgh mm. if you were going around Canada because yeah. they're so present in Canada. Just like they're <laughs> yeah, actively they have avoiding a you. In Toronto, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, but so you were you were finding that in um, in Canada you were doing a couple of Fringe festivals, then going back to Albuquerque, and then going out again for the Fringe kind of season. And then, but what made you go to Edinburgh? How, what what was the uh, was that like? Okay, so the next step that performers do is go to Edinburgh. Was it basically? Or? Yeah, I mean, we found out about it during the Canadian Fringe festivals, and everyone was like, "Oh, well, the you know, the ancestor, the grand ancestor of all of these is Edinburgh. You must yeah. do that." We sort of put it off for a while. It seemed annoying because everybody was like, you have to do it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. When yeah. everyone starts saying you have to do something, it always rubs me a little bit like, oh, yeah. maybe I should do something else, actually, because this sounds dumb. And then you open your mind and go, oh, actually, this is rad. Yeah. Um, and then when we got there, our minds were totally blown by it. And I love Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and we got to do it a lot of times. And, you know, I feel like it's a it's a friend and a foe, but yeah. mostly <laughs> a friend, mostly a place that I put a lot of heart into and you know, really value all the time that I've spent there. Um, and like that two first 2004, that year in 2004, what were the kind of the markers? So you had a, did you have a full show? Were you building a show every single year in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003? Mm -hmm. And then when you were taking shows 2004, was it like a best of the last four years or was it a whole new show? I don't remember. It, yeah. I mean, it was probably a bit of both. Mm. I think that was always a bit of both. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. us you know we'd always let a little bit of the last show bleed in mm. there's some gags that you know you kind of can use as uh, scaffolding to hold up a new show mm. and then as it finds its legs you can let go of them yeah um so yeah i think it was probably a bit of both i don't know that our first show had much of a plot in edinburgh we started getting more and more narrative as we went on yeah um, even though it was loose and chaotic and on paper it would look not much like a screenplay or anything, but, but narrative enough that at the end of uh, what could have just been a sketch show, not just, no offense, yeah. sketch people. Well, uh, but uh, yeah. it, it, we had a, we found it satisfying to weave a bunch of things together and have it kind of knit into a, 
a tapestry that told some sort of yeah. tale. Like, um, so the Pajama Men were one of that. I kind of followed you guys, I think, from 2014. You were playing the West End a lot. There was a couple of theatres in the West End. I remember you playing them and just the shows being huge and sold out and, you know, the the energy in the room was just huge, massive. And I, the couple of shows that I saw were very narrative. So they were very, um, uh, well, not very, I mean, you know, but it, there was there was certainly a, it was a story woven with the mm-hmm. sketches and characters um, weaved within the stories. Like, I think what sets it apart from just straight narrative is not bending to the rule that gen, generally is there with good reason of of not uh, having gags that don't support the plot. We yeah. didn't abide that. You know, mm-hmm. we tried to like funny was the bottom line. Yeah, and so that's what kept it kind of um for us really surprising and uh but find a way you know find a way to lead it back into the story and and be able to just jump out of it and break the fourth wall and fall apart and yeah controlled chaos kind of thing Mm. and how did you do that because i mean i remember the performances being that there was a huge amount of life to them that there was you know and both you both of you were obviously enjoying yourselves on stage which was part of the magnetism of the performances but like um did you go in detail did you really know where each scene needed to end and therefore you and you knew that there'd then be a disruptive game <laughs> within each scene that you could then like, yeah yeah for the most part i mean when shows were new um which is often kind of their most exciting hmm. phase when they're kind of in their in, in their birthing process, uh, cutting their teeth. I don't know how to find an analogy that's not uh, a little child coming into the world, yeah. but you know they are. You have to kind of look after them. But in that chaos of of a new show, um, there's an energy that I've I've always really liked and been terrified of. Hmm. But I think you know. In some cases, early in a show, we don't know, you know, where it's headed necessarily. But we try. I mean, we had tried. We would base. We would write a skeleton and then color it in, yeah, um, live. And then over the over the performances, it would kind of balloon and have more and more material in it. And then we get too expansive and kind of too floppy, mm. and then you cut it down to the good bits and then let it inhale more (laughs) you know improvised bits and then cut it down again um so by the end of you know touring it for uh, you know sometimes a year a show would be really tight full of tons of gags and things Mm. but maybe would have started to lose some of the that fun chaos and unpredictability of the yeah, because there was so many strong beats that you wanted to hit because it's just like how could we lose that because that's such a yeah yeah and um so you were mentioning their touring and the experience of touring. So how was that on you guys? I can't, I, I, there's so much I want to talk to you about because I do. I, in fact, let's put a pin in the touring question because I, I just want to ask a bit more about structuring. Because um, like ha, if you've got all of this material and it's kind of spiraling out and spiraling out, like how regularly are you talking with each other about like what you include, what you don't include, where each show goes? Because there's so much improv, I suppose. You could, mm-hmm. Your communication pre or, you know, post show has to be really good to know. Very regularly. Yeah. 
Um, like pretty much every show. How much back end work was there to kind of keep keep the show live, uh, you know, alive, but also kind of keep it edited because it feels like that's that's such a tightrope to walk. Yeah. Well, some of it is uh, kind of, and for the best, but forcibly there because the kind of work that we did was typically hour-long slots. Mm. So (laughs) if your show, you know, you can get away with a little, but once your show starts ballooning to 75 minutes, people start to get pissed off and it's it's inconsiderate (laughs) and you got to go, okay, okay. Even if you're having a great time and it feels right. Um, cause 75 minutes actually feels like a good amount of time to yeah. me. I think that feels like a strong show. Anything longer than that. I'm like, it really has to trim really yeah. needs to cut down after that. Yeah. Um, so we were sort of forced to keep it constrained in that way. Uh, yeah. So, and do, but yeah, super regularly we'd have notes after most shows mm. and be careful not to piss each other off or hurt each other's feelings or whatever yeah how did you manage that like when you said be careful you just kind of i mean i think mostly how we managed it was just didn't uh didn't um sweat the small stuff i guess which was to our strength and to our detriment i think we um mark especially very good at like keeping things withheld that I said, just get on, like, get on with it. We could be in a very foul way with each other and get on and still have a great show together. Um, And most of the time we got along also. But um, I think, you know, we probably, as an older person now who's been in therapy and things like that, we probably could have used some couples therapy. You know, we weren't a couple, but we were a marriage in a way. You know, we were a double act for 20 years together. Yeah. Uh, So... Yeah, I think I think to our credit, we just sort of owned our own shit for the most part and didn't didn't try and fling it on the other person. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, but sometimes that would really build up inside, and we'd have a fight once a year, kind of thing. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I like so. Was there a like in terms of writing a show together? Would you kind of? I suppose it was organic. You'd get asked to go on another tour and go, well, do we take this show or do we take another show? Right, let's put something together. But if you were writing, would you essentially be writing on the road? Would you be yeah. like, okay, so we improvise something that tonight. That's not quite right for the show, but we'll park it and put it in the next show. Or how did the writing process Yeah, I mean, out? I guess we always had notes, like mm. documents mm. of notes kind of on the go. Um so like just but I don't know I mean a lot of things wouldn't park that well and mm. the notes of improv yeah (laughs) you most useless what does this mean yeah yeah Yeah, unless you're very specific and then physical gags like writing that stuff out you know hands thing to person and does this with and makes face turns says what (laughs) you know and there's just no decoding it uh we should have maybe recorded ourselves more. Yeah. Um, like, so you didn't record yourself kind of film-wise? Didn't really much or... at all. Yeah, okay. It always seemed like what we ended up doing eventually, like with our rehearsal process, is less so about like the kind of notes day-to-day. That would just be kind of show notes and we'd sort of update things. But um, 
in our rehearsal processes, we did tape ourselves some, um, but it seemed like it was like doubling the amount of time that it takes to rehearse. So we mainly just both have a notebook, mm. improvise, and whenever we wanted, we just pick up a notebook and write something down without breaking the scene and just go straight back to it and continue. Yeah. Without the discussing it and then talk about it afterwards. Yeah. So we're not like, oh, you know, and the whole thing falls apart because you suddenly get distracted and you're not doing it anymore. Mm. But you keep the idea. Yeah. Um, seemed more more expedient to us than like having to filter through. Mm. But um, working with Nina now, um, we do record ourselves mm. in our writing. Um, we improvise together and record it and watch it back and go, oh, that's that's useful and that's been really different and exciting mm. so i think both have their merits but it's been good for me as a performer to you know kind of get over myself over my fear uh, uh and insecurities and be able to watch myself improvise mm. on a ca on camera and go okay maybe i'm not fucking awful <laughs> you know <laughs> you know maybe it's okay mm. maybe i'm likable maybe uh, you mm. know i'm not a terrible embarrassing <laughs> you know, present because you don't feel like that when you're not being when you're not watching yourself back, and then you watch yourself back, and you're like, oh god, oh god. But yeah. I've kind of got I've gotten over it. I feel better. And like you mentioned Nina there because you're working with another partner now. So yes. Nina Conti, your uh, who's also your partner. Mm -hmm. Like, and um, how has the change of working? So you've gone from double act to double act. In in a way, you've also done. Uh, you also do your own work like uh, like stand up on stage you ever Im do it solo impro improvise stuff or uh no it's an interesting scary idea yeah. <laughs> i don't know so much of the love of improv is, is the chemistry with somebody else yeah. i do enjoy very much the rapport with the audience doing stand up but yeah. uh but i think my love of improv is about the other person a lot and how that interaction can feel and that chemistry can can you yeah. know what it, what that can breed mm. And like, what's the difference? What are some of the differences you find then in? Because obviously, you had a, let's say, marriage with Mark, <laughs> yeah, that lasted, you know, from high school mm -hmm. to 2016, 2017, or later, 20... yeah, twenty somewhere in there. So you know, that's that's a, a long time, like really knowing another person's movements and. Mm -hmm. I think of, 2018 was our last. Year. 2018, yeah, and like. So the how have you found kind of you know work were you working pretty much exclusively with Mark for all that time like pretty much yeah yeah and how's it been kind of like uh, working with somebody else like what them it must have been I always think that it casts relief on what you kind of like the experiences or relationship you had before of like oh there's this thing that we used mm. to do mm -hmm. that was unique to that it's not it's not just improv it's unique to that relationship or mm -hmm. you know what kind of what surprises or what interesting things come up for you when you well one thing that's starkly different is um the stuff that i do with nina and we've had a few different um kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Evolutions, iterations of our double act. We kind of have had different personas together, but only one each at a time. Yeah. Um, whereas my work with Mark is many different characters and we're allowed to change whenever we want. And that's a real safety net. As soon as something feels uncomfortable, you can just go 
into something else. Yeah. So I'm why I'm this person now. <laughs> yeah. And the other person comes along with you and as somebody else. And you know, that turns into a style after a while of quick changes and whatever, but might be born of fear. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I don't want to stick around in this boring scene. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be somebody else. Yeah. Um, and also all the tricks I've got up my sleeve of all the characters that I did in pajama men mm -hmm. over the years uh, my kind of go-to personalities yeah. that could, you know, were kind of reliable. I don't have, yeah. um, and to not have the freedom to change character is an, an a really interesting yeah. confine working with Nina. And Nina is also very fearless. If something's falling apart, she's up for sticking around until she can save it. Yeah. And there's been oftentimes where I'm like, I, how are we still on stage and then like you know find something or not but she's willing to tough it out which has been exciting and a nice push for me um and it's also like a totally different thing to be up there with your romantic partner like with richard and greta we play two people that are in love with each other but we are in love with each other so it's really fun um even though we're playing kind of really ridiculous versions of ourselves that maybe aren't the most attractive people um I don't know. Maybe they are. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why are they not the most attractive people? <laughs> I don't know. Because they're, they, I don't know. Uh, I'm curious. I find them gorgeous <laughs> personally. Why are they not? But why would they not be gone? Uh, like, that's, I get some feedback. Do you? That, uh, <laughs> that people find them gross or creepy. I find them wholesome and dirty, but uh, ultimately very sweet. I think they're a generous pair. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely some dorkiness about them. They're not cool mm, yeah, <laughs> in yeah, the, yeah. in the, in the typical sense. In the, the conventional sense. Yeah. There's, so th that's interesting. So it almost internally, the difference between going from, you know, spinning the roulette wheel for what character is going to come up next of like, okay, let's hold the integrity of these characters mm -hmm. and see where it takes us in the moment. So there's, there's a different way of approaching the moment. Mm -hmm. of like rather than going for the next but uh, but that also casts relief on your own process with mark which is for yourself is like having a character there's another character in this whole kind of cartoon book of characters mm -hmm. and that being almost the accumulation of uh, like that amount of your life's work is there anything where you look at those characters and think oh i could i could do something with these characters on i don't know instagram or tiktok mm -hmm. or something like that of like some way of bringing them alive or you know writing a book or writing a kind of um like using it in a different way i mean i i, I only ask that because like i wrote i was in a sketch writing partnership for 10 years mm -hmm. and i just having a body of work that went around you know fringe um fringe venues and we wrote stuff and did stuff in london but then leaving that partnership it, it felt to me like there was all this work that was great <laughs> that hadn't really seen the light of day and i didn't want to kind of just leave it with i ended up making some films or making some audio kind of scenes with them mm -hmm. but um i kind of you know there's there's an affection for them even though they're 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 in the past of like oh i'd, I'd like to have a record of these mm -hmm. have, have you got any kind of uh, kind of desire for any of that or do, if I you, do have that... a desire to play with characters more and maybe in that sort of format um, I do voice acting when I get the opportunity 
too. Yeah. Um, and I've just been, I don't really want this on the podcast, developing my voice reel. Sounds like I'm pimping out my <laughs> voice reel. But in doing that, I've been doing a lot of different character voices and sort of writing a voice reel for myself. Yeah. And uh, I, that's fun. And so I'm kind of interested. This it's sort of like rediscovering it in the process of making this voice real. Like, oh, look at all these guys. What? Are yeah. they, what am I supposed to do with all these guys? They got. They want to do something. It feels like. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll see. Mm. Uh, but I end up. I, I uh, social media. You know, I miss the boat. But I'll try. <laughs> you know, it feels it feels funny at 45 to be like, let me work on my social media presence. But, you know, mm. um, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't. Like if you had to think about how many characters you've got, because I, and I mean, I've seen numerous shows and there are so many characters in each of those shows of which, you know, you embodied so kind of comprehensively. I, I, I can think, you know, like, would you, do you have a notepad of characters? You've got, you know, a sketchbook of characters. There are these. Do you have an idea of how many you've got? Because I can imagine they're so well conceived that I can imagine in your head they've got a history, you know, exactly mm-hmm. what they'd respond to any given kind of. Yeah, well, there's certainly some like that, which I think that is why we continue to write through improv. Mm-hmm. Um, and I continue to kind of write through characters when you have one that feels like he like what you just said like you it would say what it says yeah um then it's doing the work for you and that's that's yeah. where it's fun it has its own internal logic so it, you, it, you yeah don't need to. yeah and it's not you're not yeah. kind of thinking about oh what would you know like the the uh teenage girl that i played forever um yeah. i jennifer i don't know if i can still i don't know <laughs> i don't you know it's um characters like that that just lived in me for so long or, yeah. or leopold my kind of big vampire <laughs> um you feel like they that yeah they're just going to do whatever they want and it, it, once you have that then it's easier or richard with richard and greta i'm like mm-hmm. okay set ri- send richard in to handle this because yeah. it, it'll be easier for than i mean like i just did an audition for something and it was like I did a Richard-ish thing for it because I was like, I don't, I can't do this. But as soon as I took on his voice, it was 100% easy, yeah. you know, because I know, I know what I'm doing all of a sudden or Richard mm. knows what he's doing. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's interesting hearing you talk about that as the characters having their own voice. I know that Nina talks about that, like what she can do with Monkey or mm-hmm. what, what she can channel through Monkey that she can't come out of her own mouth. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I don't know what Mark's process was regarding that, but I, I, I do hear quite a lot. I mean, it's almost like mask work where mm-hmm. the mask does the work for you. And it, it, you know, in terms of the, um, uh, in terms of embodying the character and that, that you can do things that you wouldn't do. Otherwise mm-hmm. it gives you permission to go to places and say things mm-hmm. so like that's, it, it, would that be your process? Like in terms of like, it takes over you definitely in a, in a playful sense of like, yeah. okay, so th- this is where it goes. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. And that's kind of always been that way. And this, my stand up is the same. I mean, it's kind of a version of me, but it's not, me i mean yeah. i suppose any stand-up is going out there with somewhat of a heightened version i don't know some people are just themselves and you see them on and off the stage and they just seem the same mm. i guess they you know put themselves out there in a slightly enhanced way mm. but for me i kind of i kind of 
to find a character that can do stand up and then I'm feel safe. Yeah. But yeah. I don't send Shanoa out as a, uh, Nina and I've been talking about like an awkward social situation. So I want to credit her with this. I feel like this is her term, but the bo boring ambassador, mm. uh, you go to uh, lunch or you go wherever to a party and you're going to feel awkward. And rather than being your fun self, you send in the boring ambassador. Mm. Um, and why that, why, why not just relax and not send in the boring ambassador and so hard to not be that like once that's starting. And I feel a little bit like that about the stage. I can send in a fun character. I can go as the boring ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say the boring ambassador, you just mean yourself. <laughs> yeah. But kind of like a lame version even, right. you know, cause I don't know that I have such a low opinion of myself overall, but, uh, if I get, if fear grips me, I mm. turn into the boring ambassador. Right. Okay. And so, so it's about alleviating fear, I guess. And a character can somehow take the pressure off of got me. And so I don't, I don't uh, kind of recoil and turn into the boring ambassador. And is there, if, so I, the, for me, the boring ambassador is always, it's always got to do with self-consciousness. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I, you know, something's holding yeah. me back from, from true communication, like a much louder voice within myself, like just <laughs> whether, well, you know, it's often self-critical, but mm -hmm. that kind of, um, restraint mm -hmm. where there's no play, there's, there's no ease of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so just going back to the pin that I put into Torin. How have you found, like, how did you manage it <laughs> to tour? Like, I, when I think of moving, because uh, your career for a long time was, I guess, touring. Mm -hmm. was moving from place to place to place to place uh, because you had a show and you do a show and then you move on. Yeah. I mean, how much did you, how much over that kind of 10-year period, 15-year uh, period, were you... Um, were you at home in inverted commas and and touring? How did it work out? Depends on the year. Um, mm. There was a big chunk there in the middle of all that where very little. Mm. Um, yeah, no fixed address mm. uh, off and on yep. for a good few years. Um, and sometimes we'd get a residency to write our, you know, and we could kind of do a show. And then write a show, you know, like mm. we try to, cause we get started getting residencies at theaters and, you know, say for example, Washington DC, we got to do a run a couple of times. We, they take us as a, as a resident artist for, you know, four or five weeks. Who does that? Where, where's, where's that? The Woolly Mammoth. It's actually a rad theater. Mm. Um, uh, very respected kind of ensemble theater in, in the U S mm. but, uh, so we kind of, if we got a, good gig like that that pays and puts you up um we knew the show we were doing you wouldn't do a new show in that kind of a setup so whatever show we were doing is pretty yeah up and running doesn't take a lot of maintenance um and we'd be able to on our downtime work up a new show yeah okay um so that you know but there's only so long you can do that without kind of burning yourself out and um needing a break or, you know, I mean, it, it was great. Like we finished uh, uh, at our first tour in Australia um, and the, ended up in New Zealand and we just stayed in New Zealand. Hmm. Um, I think that was in July or uh, late June. And we, you know, it was July. We had three weeks to write our Edinburgh show. Oh, wow. And we did. And we wrote um, The Last Stand of Reason, which was our... Um, 
show that took place on a train, which is our most successful show. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of, I don't know, when you're faced with uh, certain death. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a deadline, it, an unassailable uh, deadline. Yeah, yeah you can, you can kind of pull the rabbit out sometimes. Yeah, and but like, you can't do that forever. I mean, I think you know we kept doing that and kept doing that, and then just got to be like, okay, this is we need a break. Yeah, so that's uh, because it. Well, it's interesting. I, like I've spoke, spoken to um, Marcel Comte, Alexis Dubois, mm. about kind of touring and how like tough it is on you as a human being, kind of living out of a suitcase and moving is, you know, I think in a lot of people's head, touring is very thrilling, but like two years in, it's suddenly something else. Mm. And, and it's fairly isolating as and well. It's, yeah, because you're not around the same people. You don't really yeah. have your community. I mean, the only other people that you'd know, I guess, would be people that you that arrive at the festival that you knew from the last festival. Right. Yeah. I mean, is there anyone that you were particularly close with in, in those kind of movement, those years that were moving with you? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. Made a lot of acquaintances. Made a lot of acquaintances. And friends. Yeah. I don't, you know, there's certainly friends there. I don't kind of want to list off the comedians yeah, that I yeah, yeah. befriended. But, um, I, but I'm curious, the reason I'm asking is I'm curious as to the difference again, like like asking the difference between working with Mark and working with Nina, mm -hmm. the difference between that rhythm of those 10, 15 years and the rhythm now. Mm -hmm. Like, so... I, like I've got a good friend called Claire Murphy, who's a, a storyteller, and she tours the world, and did do for a long time telling stories. And like the rhythm of her life in terms of getting money in, um, creating, was very dictated by the work that she was getting. Mm -hmm. So you know whether it's in Salt Lake City or for NASA or in Australia or wherever it is, right. she, she'd go to the work. And but that was that then became self-fulfilling. The only work that she could get was work that she was asked to do. Mm -hmm. And actually, if she stuck still, she she's suddenly in a situation like, oh, fuck, I can only get one, I, I, yeah. one piece of work here. And then mm -hmm. like, ah, how do you do the thing where you just get this, get work in the same place? Right, yeah. And like, so- Yeah, I, which I, was kind of a beauty of touring is you get a fresh audience. Mm. So you can use the same show for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think we would have been able to just run Pajama Men here indefinitely. Mm. We kind of thought about trying to get like a long standing, and I don't know, that also sounds like hell. Yeah. Um, just showing up at the same place and doing the same thing every night. Yeah. Yeah. Sound. Why well, is it, you know, after a year, I suppose it becomes a, a kind of a hell realm, just like, who am I anymore? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Is life moving on or is, is it not? Yeah. It's a Groundhog Day. But like, and how have you found kind of landing and like on terra firma, if you like, going from touring to, where where kind of i guess pre just pre-pandemic and as you landed here mm -hmm. of like going right i'm gonna do it on this part of the earth rather than all of it mm -hmm. <laughs> um what have you found the challenges of that of like finding because i like so for my friend claire for example like funding finding funding streams has been a mm -hmm. big thing like for her because she's a storyteller she can get to arts council funding a, mm -hmm. a lot easier so she's been well not easy but easier than some other places might so she's got super good at applying for those almost like it's a second career <laughs> mm -hmm. like yeah. being able to get those kind of things funded rather than having um, to move to washington to get that kind of time yeah. uh well i i it's definitely a big thing to go from having a, a from having a 
touring income um, to not and trying to figure out how to make it all happen. I do some voice acting and like I said, I'm I'm really, really just putting that out there. Guys, (laughs) hire me. Um, Say I went gravelly for you. Uh, So that gives me a little bit here and there. um, And I write. Uh, And when that money comes along, that's nice. Um, Get the odd commission to write something. And then you can sort of sustain yourself on that and the odd gig and, you know, kind of get by. Mm. But for the first time in my life, I'm working uh, (laughs) for a living. Not the first time. I had a couple of jobs, but, you know, like I was a cab driver and I worked in a hospital Mm. um, when I was in my early 20s. And then I got a comedy career and I never did anything else. Mm. Other than all of the work that it takes to have a comedy career, yeah. apart from the comedy, yeah. you know, all the producing and booking and all the stuff you have to do. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm bartending and I, it's new enough and novel enough that I'm actually really enjoying it. But it does take away uh, from my creative life. And it's it's odd. And it's <laughs> it's odd not to feel like a wash it like it like because I don't want to feel like a cliche of like, yeah. oh, you were you had your glory days. Now you're a bartender. Like <laughs> well, you should have seen me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I you know, I don't And it's not like your characters can come out in that like you can't play a they do sixteen a bit, year old though. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. It, like... But I can play some other guys. <laughs> you know, it comes out a what little bit. Want, I can't want? I can't help it. It's they just they just, you know. Yeah. They just come out. So the 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 people that I bartend with are like starting to notice that there's more personalities because as I get more comfortable with them, the more of them, yeah, kind of <laughs> show themselves. Uh, so, but it's all right. Um, you know, onward and upward, but definitely a big transition to stop being in a double act. Uh, all the love to Mark. He's got a new baby. How did you um, guys split? Like, was it just, a, it must have just been the burnout and touring. I mean, basically, you, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I don't I mean, want to put And there's words. only, I think after 20 years, you go, are we even different people yeah. <laughs> anymore? Like what? We need new input, new, yeah. we need diff. you know, maybe we'll do things again in the future. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, if we do, it will have been worthwhile to go out and get some other influences and some new information yeah so that we're surprising each other again yeah because we start to really anticipate the next move even for improvising it's like is this improv or are we just saying some shit we've said before mm. and know the cues even though we're making it up supposedly mm. you know not, not consciously but it can kind of turn into that it's it's really interesting though because because you created with someone for such a long time and then coming out of that and as recently as 2018 mm-hmm. and you are obviously you're creating with nina again but i does it disassociate you slightly with the the work that you made with Mark that you, it's almost like you can't quite take ownership over it because even the characters because you co-created them so mm. they they're not don't feel as accessible in some ways mm-hmm. or you like all oh, right well pajama men was the vehicle that my creativity was in and oh my god the the vehicle's gone if there's not two of you there so it's difficult to pull on all of that experience that you've you you've had is there a part of that or is it kind of like yeah not so much in the experience but certainly in the um you know i don't want to just do pajama men again somewhere else i kind of want to find new ways of doing things so i don't know it's all 
need to be discovered. But I when guess. you put your but... entire <laughs> life into a, a double yeah. act, it must. It, it yeah, does no, it is. It discovering is yourself again, it and I, be... it's weird, like how little I think about it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. There's a, it's just responding to the everyday. That's what happens suddenly. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. the everyday is very alarmingly real and close and right yeah. there. So there's, you know, kind of, um, and, um, where you want to go, is it entirely different to, to that? Is it kind of, or like, cause you're working on stand up as well as, um, Richard and Greta. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, where's your forward motion, forward movement to it? Cause I don't know whether you actually with, with, uh, Mark, whether you have had any kind of movie kind of making a movie making a series or anything like that i know you were in various tv and film projects yeah like, we had um, a lot of close ones yeah you know we got commissioned a lot to write things yeah and none of them were ever made mm. but it's so i don't know yeah but exactly. you know, it's funny to feel you know we got pretty close yeah um yeah sitting in the room with all the right people working on a thing that felt like it was going to go a few times. Yeah. And you don't know, you just learn from those things. I think it's made me a better writer. Mm. Um, it's a pain, Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a pain to be that close to HBO series and shit like that and have it not happen. But at the same time, life is fucking mm. life. Like it, we get to experience it, whatever. Mm. Yeah. You really can't dwell on that shit. Yeah, it's it's such, it, but it's interesting to hear about because it's, there's such a narrow margin. I've spoken to other people uh, who I won't name, but they like being in the same room as the writers for Friends and Cheers, and mm-hmm. they're creating a vehicle for themselves with these just the best in the game, or mm-hmm. uh, you know their track record is the best in the game, and kind of just being very clear, like, well, we're with all the right people. <laughs> and then it just doesn't, for whatever, just doesn't quite come together or doesn't quite gel or doesn't get mm. get commissioned in any way. And it's like, well, what else do we need to do? <laughs> Everything yeah. else is in... Yeah. So well, can... maybe don't make your little comedy show super high concept. That's <laughs> <laughs> one piece of advice. But at the same time, I think, don't take that advice. Keep trying. Because, yeah. you know, I get so sick of all the unscripted stuff. No offense all of you love the people doing that all, all the best to you but you know in terms of the art of television like where mm. the fuck is it you know what i mean yeah um and the stuff that we were pitching was like really high concept tons of characters tons of costume changes big sets you know like one of our shows took place in a in a kind of a weird summer camp thing that turned out to be like a capsule that was the whole thing was a terrarium that was run by aliens and it was kind of a horror uh, and there were inner workings all underneath the underside of this camp that was kind of, you know, it's kind of like where Dirty Dancing is set, but the whole thing t- ends up being a uh, yeah. you know, a spaceship, and, you know, HBO were a little bit like, yeah, we weren't planning to give you $400 million <laughs> to make, you know, to make this, I think is what happened. Yeah. Uh, after, you know, lots of back and forthing with getting the script in place, I think it was just like, okay. How do we practically make could, this thing? Could yeah. you have written something that actually just takes place in a existing world? Mm. <laughs> you know, I think it's what happened. I think yeah. it's what happened. And but, yeah, so but it, so it has it. So you're still writing stuff and still kind of sending stuff out, or like are you, Richard, uh, Richard and Greta doing? Um, uh, well, we have a you podcast, and, and we have another project that I won't mention, but we do have something that we're working on. Yeah, uh, that I just mentioned, but I'll keep. <laughs> keep close to the chest for for now um 
not to be a weirdo about it but yeah but i'm excited about it and um and i did a clowning course or a physical comedy course with you early days here at the bill murray just i think when it just opened and are you running any teaching stuff um at the moment or uh, it... not just now no mm. um yeah no not at did you enjoy it or do uh, is i do really of... enjoy teaching mm. uh yeah i like doing it when i decide to do it i feel like it's the same as creating anything else mm. so you're like bartending while it's it is what it is. Hmm. It doesn't take from me, even though I just said it took from my creativity. It, it takes from my time, but it doesn't take from my mind uh, or my creative yeah. reservoir, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and teaching kind of can. Yeah. But at the same time, I do really enjoy it. I, I find it very gratifying to teach work, work with people. Yeah, I find that. I do a bit of teaching, but Ben Target is somebody that works behind bar and works on, in construction or in gardening just because mm -hmm. for that pure reason that it doesn't take anything out of his creative reservoir. It's like, you know what, mm -hmm. I'm, I'd rather do this thing that I can just switch off from and mm -hmm. experience people and, and another side of slice of life and then be fresh creatively if tired physically mm -hmm. <laughs> on, you know, the next day or the day yeah. after that. And are you finding that it does leave you kind of creatively hungry or creatively fresh yeah in a way that you weren't before uh and yeah i think more way. more and more so and i you know i don't want to sound wanky but it, it sound wanky yeah <laughs> but i just feel like creativity is just sort of always there if you have a yeah. creative mind i don't know that anyone doesn't minds are big complex things yeah uh so I don't feel like I'm I'm being uncreative. Maybe I'm rationalizing, but I don't feel like I'm being uncreative when I'm working in a bar. I've all kinds of thoughts going through my head. Yeah. I guess where it comes down to creating, that's where you actually have to create something. You can't just live with your creative mind mm. if you want to take what is on the interior and bring it to the exterior. I mean, that, that part of the process. Yeah is the hard part um and the part that takes like will and you know yeah yeah <laughs> like just confidence diligence and, and yeah. confidence and belief and hope and, yeah yeah and just wherewithal and follow through and all those things um and um so i can't it's not just i can't just sort of coast on pipe dreaming in the bar about like different uh, things that i would think about but i don't my mind doesn't feel uncreatively engaged i would say it's just it's still taken away yeah, but yeah. that doesn't amount to much in terms of career unless you make something out of the you know grist in the mill or whatever the expression is um i'm gonna how would you describe the podcast with uh, uh with richard and greta um, because I'm going to um, put I've, I put the episode that we filmed with Richard and Greta again after this. So oh, good. So as an um, example of it, but how would you describe Richard and Greta's relationship and um, the uh, the podcast that you do together? I would say, as I as I said earlier, that it's it's filthy but wholesome. It's kind of two hippie, uh, self appointed love advice uh gurus i guess but not really that's sort of what they claim to be but mostly it's uh banter it's hypersexual but uh kind of cozy and we review products and 
that, that you know half the time i mean it i don't know we take listener questions half the time we make up those hmm. questions because <laughs> we're not you know it's not like people are writing in listener questions all the time but we surprise each other with them is completely improvised and yeah. we do surprise segments um where we challenge one another to find out more about each other um listen it's a good time it's very surreal yeah uh and you know it's certainly not for everyone, but those who it's for. I think it, is, well, the, when you've done the social club, everyone's really enjoyed it. Like I, I think there's something about them. They almost seem like um, your friendly cult leaders. Yeah, like there's there's something yeah. suicide culty about them at the same time, but at the same time they want to get a bargain. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the sex comes first, but then you know <laughs> then we take the pill at the end. There's something yeah, very right. um very uh i don't know 60s or 70s about them yeah 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 they do have sort of a 70s vibe 60s vibe mm. um and they're a bit like uh psychedelic maybe yeah so maybe that's part of it yeah there's a lot of flights of fancy that are you know or stardust pretty, in their eyes kind yeah of like. and maybe a bit acid driven <laughs> um so um chanel thank you very much for coming on and chatting yeah, thank you, Barry. And that was Mr. Shinoa Allen. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Shinoa. And uh, if you want to see him, he's on the Angel Comedy Social Club uh, in the next few Wednesdays, and he's certainly around a lot. He also, every so often, he teaches a clowning course, which is absolutely worth doing as well. But um, and listen out for Richard and Greta, who uh, I've I've got a conversation with Richard and Greta that I'm going to be releasing uh, next week, so or in a fortnight, so you can hear a fun little um, excerpt. A uh, fun little episode, that uh, extra Angel Comedy episode that I uh, recorded with Shinar Allen. Okay, uh, thanks very much for listening. Do support us if you can. Um, but uh, otherwise, have a good two weeks. Bye, everyone.